Welcome to a special episode of How to Build a Village, about a family who escaped the Holocaust and found a new life in New York City. I'm Jill Martin-Wren, and I'm honored to welcome Suzanne Toback, who for more than 25 years has produced the majority of Broadway opening nights and celebrations. Those events have included Little Shop of Horrors, Jagged Little Pill, the 73rd Tony events, Ain't Too Proud, the 25th anniversary for Phantom of the Opera, and the list goes on and on. She has been profiled in the New York Times and many other publications and is honored to be a member of the New York-based Biz Bash Hall of Fame. It's an honor to have you join this podcast from New York. Thank you for sharing with us your parents' extraordinary story. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be able to share it. Both my parents are gone now, but their legacy lives on because we do get to tell these stories. And that's how we keep the people we love alive. They're very different stories. We'll start with my mom's because it's a real story of kindness and of course a combination of luck. She was born in Vienna, Austria and one of five children, but the youngest by 13 years. So she had four older siblings, one of which uh, died, two of which immigrated to the United States before the war. And then it was her and her sister. As things were getting worse and worse after Kristallnacht for Jews in Vienna, her parents were able to get their youngest child, my mother was nine at the time, Mm -hmm. into kinder transport. As you know, the only country that was willing to take Jewish children was the UK. And they didn't have a limit on the number of children. They took 10,000. My mother was one of the last three trains. She was sponsored. I want to get this right because they deserve credit. It was a synagogue in West London. Let's see, what is it called? We went to visit them. And, And tell me again how old your mother was at the time. She was nine. West London Synagogue. Yes, that's the right name. Um, She was nine. And um, you had to be sponsored. I don't I don't think it was a financial situation. I think, you know, there were a certain number of papers, certain number of organizations. And my father had passed away too young. And I wanted to do something for my mother. She had missed the 50th anniversary of an unveiling of the plaque to uh, KTA, uh, which is the Kinder Transport Association at Westminster Palace. Mm -hmm. And so I promised, she was still grieving for my father. So I said, Mm -hmm. let's do a mother-daughter trip. And the following year in 2001, my mother and I went to on ourselves instead of going with the group. And we decided to do our version of Roots. So she left Vienna by train, uh, frightened, uh, you know, of course, but she was one of the lucky ones. She was not only taken in by a family, she was loved. Mm -hmm. And how that happened is Lady Fitzgerald of Buckland, Mm -hmm. who was in her early 80s at the time, her husband had died, she had hidden the fact that she had been born Jewish and extremely wealthy, had married into the Church of England, was a dear friend of Queen Mary. In fact, many of her objects of art were hidden 
at the manor house during World War II uh, of Queen Mary's. She um, wanted to take in Jewish children. Now they took in many boys who worked the fields. Mm. And this is in, as I said, Buckland, but they took my mother in not to work the fields, but simply to make sure that she was taken away from the terror uh, being rounded up and sent to camps, the Holocaust. And my mother did not speak anything but German. She was picked up at the train station as, I, as she remembers and brought to Buckland where many of the servants had their own homes and she was, they had no choice um, but the chauffeur and his wife, but to take in my mother. But they were very kind to her. Mm. And my mother was given, this is a picture of the manor house. Wow. They call, my mother called it Lady Fitzgerald's Castle. It, and it, it says on the that. back, I lived there from 1939 to 1944. And this, the, the home in which she resided mm -hmm. looked something like this. It had no longer, there were many such homes on the estate for staff. The actual one she lived in no longer was intact but we took a picture of one that was similar. And they were quite kind to her, but she was given a tutor to teach her English. She was eventually schooled in the local town schoolhouse. Oh, wow. She was asked by the family with which she was living, not by Lady Fitzgerald. Uh, she said, now that you're here, you will need to go to church on Sunday. Wow. And my mother said, she was nine. She was able to communicate. She said, I don't go to church. I'm Jewish. And they said, well, we'll have to tell Lady Fitzgerald. And Lady Fitzgerald said, of course she doesn't go to church. And she had a rabbi come every Friday night. And my mother always thought, this was never confirmed, that it was because Lady Fitzgerald herself, who had long ago given up any uh, uh, of her Hebrew or Jewish background uh, was actually interested in the Shabbos dinner and hearing the rabbi and that it was a way for her to reconnect with her roots without actually identifying as Jewish. So uh, my mother was not only kept away from the Blitz by being outside of Oxford, she was not only given a tutor and an education, uh, she was kept safe and she was given love and freedom. And she was extraordinarily lucky and grateful. But does she remember the train journey at all? Or did she remember, did she share she with that? She does. She remember her, her mother could not take her. Mm. She said goodbye to her at home because it was absolutely too emotional for mm. her mother that her father took her. She remembers being scared and being given a name tag, being placed on a train, not knowing at the time where she was going, but she was able to communicate by letter with her parents for a full year. Oh, that's great. Until they were taken to concentration camps. Where 
where they uh, my grandfather supposedly uh, died of uh, uh, some sort of cancer. Um, I can't think of the name of the camp right now, but he was in the model camp that they used to bring the inspectors in that was given to the intelligentsia and the, and, and the wealthy. And he supposedly died of uh, cancer. My grandmother, on the other hand, unfortunately, uh, died in the gas chambers. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's a... It's a, it's amazing to think that this was seventy five years ago I and not and not a thousand and seventy five years ago. Now, did your mother realize when her father brought her, her grandfather brought her to the train station? Did she understand that she wouldn't see them again, or was no, no? She did understand she was being sent to safety. Mm -hmm. She also had brothers who had immigrated to the United States. Mm -hmm. There, I think. Uh, that she believed there would be a time when she would be reunited with her parents. She learned all too young that that was not the case when the letter stopped, but it was actually the Red Cross after the war that was instrumental in helping people try to reunite families. And they were the ones who were, you know, Germans kept incredibly specific records. And so it's unfortunate, but it was easy to document that both her parents had perished. And where did she go? Where did your mother go after the war? Well, under the terms of kinder transport, they were only supposed to keep you until you were 17. Mm. And Lady Fitzgerald offered to pay for my mother to be sent to become a uh, housekeeper, which at that time, there still were some grand homes, like the one my mother lived in. Uh, they had 40 in staff, even during the war. And my mother basically said, I don't want to be a housekeeper. And her relationship with Lady Fitzgerald ended on a sour note. She oh. felt that my mother was not appreciative of the efforts being made on her behalf. I guess there was great cost to this. Um, but my mother was educated. She had relatives. That was not the future she envisioned for herself. Mm. And so she went to work at what was the equivalent of Bergdorf Goodman's in Oxford. It was a department store called Weber's. Oh. And they actually had housing for lady buyers in those days. And my mother was too young to be a buyer, but because of her situation, they allowed her to live there. We went back on this trip. And of course, Weber's doesn't exist anymore. And we went to the home where my mother lived, the apartment where she lived. But the other buyers, she said, who were in their 20s while my mother was in her teens, were incredibly kind to her. My mother said she spent all her money on clothes. And she tells a great story of the day that Lady, uh, <laughs> that uh, Lawrence Olivier and Vivian Lee came to the store to shop. My mother loved telling that story. Everybody was told they were not to leave their area, not to gawk. And my mother found a great excuse to send something to shipping because she wanted to see these two people. And she always talked about how devastatingly beautiful a couple they were. And for some reason, she was fascinated with uh, Laurence Olivier's cashmere coat. 
and spoke about that forever, how dashing he was in his camel hair cashmere coat. It sounds like she really was so resilient to be in that situation. She, I think because not to diminish, she didn't suffer the deprivations that so many others did. She was well-fed because she was on a farm. As I said, she wasn't in the Blitz. Mm. She was cosseted as this young, and she was very beautiful, which I'm sure had something. She was blonde and green-eyed, and I'm sure that had something to do. I always said she was, you know, the poster child, <laughs> something to do with where she ended up, although we will never know that. Um, some of her contemporaries and some of the other stories I've read, because there are KTA associations and there are second generations, third generations, and now beginning fourth generations. Some children were basically treated like indentured servants. Hmm. And some were simply taken in because it came with a fee hmm. for their care. Not everybody was as lucky as my mother and as loved as my mother. And so I do think she was resilient, but I also think mm. that it's easy to be resilient when not faced with the same hardships that so many of her generation of young Jewish children were. And so where did she go from Weber's? She was working at Weber's. She's working at Weber's. She's living in Oxford and she has two brothers living in the United States. Mm. And so in 1947, she decided to come to the United States. So she would have been 22, maybe 21, turning 22. So she came to the United States and she hated it at first. She thought everybody was so rude. And came to New York? Is it where her brothers yes. in okay. her brothers were in New York? One of her brothers was a furrier, mm. and one of her brothers was a dentist. And he wasn't able to practice dentistry here. So he actually made molds for mm. teeth the way people used to get their caps and bridges and things like that, because he was a dentist in Vienna. Mm -hmm. Didn't necessarily, you know, wasn't going to do the coursework here in the United States. But um, my father, who was born a Polish Jew and who uh, whose education ended at 13 after his bar mitzvah, because he did not come from a family that had resources, financial or others. And he was very academic and he wanted to continue his schooling, but it was not financially possible. And he was apprenticed out as a tailor. And mm -hmm. if he had not been apprenticed out as a tailor, chances are he never would have survived the war. He had a trade. He could repair the SS officers uniforms. And that is what kept him alive from work camp to death camp. And he was liberated uh, in 1945. And, and where was he liberated from? I don't remember which camp he was okay. at this time because they moved them as they were losing the war, they were moving them from camp to camp I to camp. My it. mother spoke frequently to me of her stories because they were happier. Mm. My father spoke very little. He spoke more to my brother, but I think God knows what he saw when he closed his eyes. Mm. And therefore he did not share too much 
uh, because most of the stories were just awful. Mm. Um, but he did share this one, which was an extraordinary story of survival. He was working uh, before he was in a death camp and he was in a work camp. He was working in the laundry because of the skill set he had. And there were a very wealthy uh, Jewish prisoner who had buried coins. And because my father had interaction with German officers, they took the risk of telling him where the coins were and hoping that they would split the coins had they been recovered. And indeed that did happen. Mm. And so my father ended up with a small bounty of gold coins, which he covered and made as buttons on his jacket. And there were quite a few times when he was to be killed or gassed and he was able to buy his freedom with these buttons. Oh my gosh, that is so enterprising. He survived the war. He had some cousins who were wealthy American citizens in Detroit. You couldn't come to the United States unless somebody was prepared to underwrite your passage and promise you wouldn't become a dependent of the state. And although she was not my aunt, she was known to me as Aunt River, even though I never met her, I did meet some of her children. She underwrote my father's passage uh, and promised to be responsible for him. And so he was able to come to the United States as early as 1945. Mm -hmm. And he was working as a pattern maker and furrier in New York City in the same factory that my mother's brother was working in. And that's how they were introduced on a blind date. And they were married three months later. And everyone assumed uh, it was such a fast courtship that uh, my mother must have been pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Not true. My brother was born in 1951. My mother came in 47. And I remember I had just seen the movie Yentl and I was crying at the ending of Barbara on the boat coming to the United States to a new life. And I called my mother and I said to her, what did it feel like when you saw the Statue of Liberty? And she said, darling, my plane landed at Idlewild in 1947. (laughs) (laughs) So her experience was quite different. Now, did your parents talk about their experiences amongst themselves? No, but my father always called my mother the princess. And there were many. My father was born in Rodham, Poland, which was a highly industrial city about 90 kilometers from Warsaw. And so many Rodimers survived because they had um, skills and could work in factories and um, they had a society. And many of the survivors in New York were my father's social group. And I think there was a certain expectation that you were supposed to marry another survivor from Rodham. And there was a lot of, my mother recalls, uh, lack of acceptance of her because uh, she didn't speak Yiddish. She didn't come from the town. Uh, Maybe they thought she had heirs, which she certainly didn't, but she was different. 
And mm-hmm. it took her a, a little while to be accepted. But my father also was very keen to assimilate as soon as possible into the American dream. And it was indeed the American dream for my parents. He didn't have much contact with other Rodimers until he hit his 70s. And I think got uh, more nostalgic and reminiscent and open to thinking about his past. But he said, those who wanted to remember went to Israel. Those who wanted to forget came to the United States. And Mm -hmm. all my parents' closest friends in the childhood that I remember in the 50s and 60s were full of uh, Americans, not people who had immigrated or as we call them survivors. My parents uh, led a wonderful life. They had a group of friends. They uh, traveled and enjoyed each other, but there was very little talk or reminiscence of the war years. And as you say, their friends were not necessarily other survivors. They were- No, not at all. Uh, Every once in a while, there were people with strange accents Mm -hmm. who would, you know, assemble for a wedding or a bar mitzvah, but they had very little immediate family because most of them were killed. My father Mm -hmm. lost both his brothers in, in concentration camps, his mother before the war and his stepmother who raised him was also unfortunately died in the camps. My mother's parents died in the camps. So, I mean, I had these two uncles, but they were 18 years older than my mother and didn't really know her. And although we saw one of the uncles a little bit, we didn't see the other uncle very much. So in lieu of cousins and aunts and uncles, these three other American couples became our families. Those were the people that we celebrated holidays with and who my parents vacationed with and who we had Sunday night dinners with. And they had no connection. Other, They were Jewish, but they had no connection to the Holocaust. And how did they meet them, this community of friends that they built? My parents moved to Bayside um, when they married. And that these couples were all pregnant at these three women were all pregnant at the same time. And wow. they, they met in this new development, uh, new housing development. People went on to move. Uh, this is before I was born. My brother is uh, six and a half years older than me. She was pregnant, but uh, one moved. Uh, it's, it was the Danchicks and the Dinnersteins and the Rubens. Two of them We moved to different places in Bayside and one moved out to Roslyn, but we continued, uh, those continued to be my parents' nuclear group. And how did your mother then, or how did you and your mother arrange the trip to go back and see where she had lived? Um, Well, as I mentioned, it was all based on the fact that the year before when my uh, father had passed, there was an invitation to travel with the KTA to see the unveiling of this plaque. The UK did not realize that what they did was so significant and so important. And so in the 1960s, they destroyed most of the paperwork. Mm. Just in shredding, just in not being able to keep all these files. They didn't understand this extraordinary act of generosity and kindness and what its meaning would be. The KTA Association, there was a plaque to be unveiled. My mother wasn't up for the trip. So I said, we'll do it. 
we'll make a trip. We'll make it all about you so you won't be sad about daddy and we'll do our roots trip. So we got special permission and I still have the letter because it was so meaningful to me, allowing us to go to Westminster Palace and see the KTA. But anyway, we got a special invitation to the Palace of Westminster and a private tour. Oh, and we were cool. able to see the plaque that was unveiled. And this is, we kept it. It was so meaningful to us. It says, oh. Palace of Westminster special permit. I love it. And you've got the seal, the special. Got the seal and everything. And it says, in deep gratitude to the people in Parliament of the United Kingdom for saving the lives of 10,000 Jewish and other children who fled to this country from Nazi persecution on the kinder transport from 1938 to 1939. And so we were not allowed to take pictures, but we got this, this special tour. And then we went to the synagogue that sponsored her. We went to their Friday night services where she was the esteemed guest. Aww. And we found the paperwork that sponsored her, but they sent us to all these other I guess they are government buildings where, as I mentioned, we learned that the trail of paperwork stopped. Mm. Not because they didn't realize how precious what they had was. So we weren't able to trace it back further than that. Then we still have a cousin who lives in Oxfordshire and his name is Tony Bennell and his wife, Susan. Mm. And his mother survived the war, was one of my mother's cousins, and she married an Englishman and she stayed. And therefore, Tony and Susan drove us to Buckland. to go, And it's a private estate and private roads. And we just went. We, we were fearless. We were <laughs> like, I'd rather apologize <laughs> than ask permission. True American. <laughs> and we went back to the estate. Many of those houses that I showed you, the smaller houses, were now rented out. But the manor house remains uh, still in the family of the Fitzgeralds. We couldn't get inside, but we were able to take those pictures of the outside. And then my mother still remembered the address and the certainly the name of the department store. So then we drove to Oxford and we went back to find, of course, it no longer existed. It was probably a Starbucks, um, but <laughs> maybe not 2001. It was a wonderful time. Uh, we spent three days and we actually found Les, his name is Les Byers. I have a picture of him who was 87 at the time and a 92 year old man. I have a picture of the two of them with my mother and they remembered her and were able to tell stories of her at 10, 11 and 12, you know, living on the estate, remembering this, you know, lovely little blonde girl. Now, and how, how did your, did your mother feel like me seeing them and reminiscing about it all? Uh, she was so happy. It was a wonderful trip and she had absolutely uh, no sadness. She realized how lucky she was, how fortunate she was, not just to be taken in, but to be loved 
to be privileged, to be safe, to be alive. And she was also at this point old enough to look back on her life and realize that although one never gets over losing their parents, that they had done the right thing by sending her away because she was able to live a full and happy life. I mean, what, I can't even imagine that decision, you know, how, how that came about and just having, going through with it. It's the most unselfish thing they could have done. Absolutely. And I'm sure my mother didn't understand that at the time she was placed at the train. But by the time she was able to share these stories and conversations with me, she certainly did. And she was so grateful. But she was still extremely angry at Vienna. I had been contacted, oh, maybe 15 years ago. There was making a movie called The Lost or The Forgotten Daughters of Vienna. And they were filming five Viennese women who, as Jewish women, needed to leave. They went to different places. Not everybody's story was the same as my mother. And all of them, we had them to my mother's apartment where we made lunch, the film crew, and these other women. And they were talking about how they missed the smell of strudel and the beautiful Viennese. And my mother was edited out of most of the movie because she was honest and not lovingly nostalgic about Vienna. She was angry at what had become of her family, of the way they were treated, of how they welcomed the Nazis. She remembers her brothers being arrested, her father being arrested and returned. She remembers beating, she remembered leaving. And she did not pick up the company line of this movie, which was, you know, and Vienna kept offering to have any survivor revisit and they would pay the cost of the trip. And I said, mom, I'll go with you. And she said, I don't want to go. Oh, that's you interesting. But she was happy to go to the to the UK because they they absolutely she considered the UK home she considered Vienna a place where they tormented and killed her family and how did she keep the memory of her parents alive we had very few pictures because you leave with very little and you know everything was taken we have and I am now the possessor of them very few photographs but some and they were treasured. And those five or six photographs of my mother's family had place of pride in our living room in frames in those days and a photo album. And I have those pictures and I have on my wall, my mother had made a montage of those six or seven pictures of her grandmother and her aunts and her parents. And I have them framed. Uh, she had them on her wall. And when she passed away, I took that little uh, set of six pictures and I have it on my wall. Have there, have there been any organizations you've been involved with in the U.S.? With people, you know, yeah, the other thing my mother did is she, when the U.S. Holocaust Museum opened in Washington, D.C., she paid for membership in order to have recognition of her parents. I've continued those. I also support Yad Vashem. I'm a member of KTA, uh, the Kinder Transport. And I think that by telling these stories, uh, particularly now that there are so many people who it's the end of the generation that survived and 
who will tell these stories as the few remaining survivors are in their 90s. And I think it's so important. And there is the Strassler Center at Clark University. Mm-hmm. And it, that's their mission to, along with, of course, the Shoah Foundation by Spielberg and um, the Holocaust Museum uh, in Washington and the one in the United States. And of course, Yad Vashem is to keep these memories alive and these stories alive. So there are archives and tapes of survivors. There are um, artifacts and stories because there's so many disbelievers. And as uh, the generation passes away, I fear there'll be more disbelievers. That's that's such a tragedy. Or deniers as they call them, Holocaust deniers. Well, I mean, I I think your your life and your story is such a testament to your family's just resilience and bravery and heroism and just that that decision of your grandparents to, to have to put your mom on that train. Give up their child, yeah. That's um but knowing that that was the best thing they could have done, that 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 brought the world you because without that, they must have um they must have seen that. But wow, I mean that's a that's, can't even get your head around that. Probably not thinking that far in advance. It gave their daughter a chance to survive, you know, Um, let alone the fact that there would be more generations to come. Um, I don't think they were thinking quite that far, but uh, what a painful, but for, I am forever grateful decision. And my mother was grateful too. Very grateful. I'm sure not at the time, but very grateful. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne, for sharing this story. I just find it so inspiring. Well, I, there are so many other people to thank um, at a time when empathy and kindness means everything, Mm -hmm. to think that there were people who were willing to open their homes and hearts to children they didn't know Mm -hmm. uh, shows you that there is such goodness in the world Mm -hmm. and I hope we can pay it forward. Great, well, thank you, Suzanne. It's uh, not easy to talk about, but just so wonderful to hear. It's a a story that's important to be told about just how kind and selfless people can be. And I am so grateful.